Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, February 8th, 2023 and the end of week 50 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,269 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 350 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Michael Kaufman, Director of Russian Studies at the Center for a New American Security, and Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense, Hanna Malyar, confirmed our assessment that Russia's so-called large-scale offensive has begun. We maintain there remains a significant chance the Russian Federation will launch new offensives in one or more operational direction before February 24th. Second, We maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin has escalated due to statements by state Duma deputies. We maintain that the political distraction benefits Russian President Vladimir Putin the most. Third, we maintain that the battle for the control of Bakhmut has reached a critical phase with the addition of Russian forces to the Axis and the ongoing attempt to create a technical encirclement. Fourth, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Fifth, the RAND Corporation agreed with our assessment that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative while we maintain the exception for the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Sixth, the ISW agreed with our assessment that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and is incapable of dramatically changing the battlefield situation in the coming weeks. Seventh, we maintain that ongoing severe weather in the Black Sea, Crimea, and the Rostov-on-Don region of Russia will continue to delay the next Russian punitive missile strike on civilians and civilian infrastructure. Eighth, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Ninth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Tenth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Eleventh, 
We maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational direction, Ukrainian sources, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and mercenaries with War Gonzo, reported fighting on the eastern edge of Novoselivsky in Tukuzimivka. A geolocated video showed Russian T-90M tanks using shoot-and-scoot tactics on a 500-meter section of road between the two towns, engaged in indirect fire. Yesterday, Ukrainian artillery destroyed a Russian tank near the same location. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center of Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that Pokrovska was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS, destroying two grain hangars. The town is on the Russian P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, between Veliki, Russia, and the supply and logistics hub at Nizhnya Duvanka. A Ukrainian source confirmed our assessment from late January that Ukrainian forces had been pushed out of Ploshanka, but the settlement remains a no-man's land. We did not adjust the map as we had previously assessed this change, and the report doesn't represent new territorial control. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian positions in Chervonopopivka were shelled, indicating that Ukrainian troops may be further east than we assessed on January 27th. In the Kremina operational area, there was heavy fighting between squads and platoons west, southwest, and south of the settlement, with Russian troops probing Ukrainian defensive lines. Multiple Ukrainian sources reported fighting west of Kremina. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repulsed a Russian attack from Dibrova, while the Russian MOD reported that Russian troops shelled the settlement and Wargonzo stated that Russian troops were trying to launch an attack from the village. To the south, positional fighting and artillery fire continued in the Serebriansky woods. In the Lysychansk operational area, Wargonzo reported fighting in the area of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. In Russian-occupied Zaliznichne, insurgents sabotaged railroad infrastructure, disabling communications and railroad switches. There was an additional HIMARS strike in Pervomaisky, according to the LNR-JCCC. Our favorite FSB colonel convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, PMC Wagner target, and failed Mobik, Igor Gherkin-Strelkov, reported that less than 10% of occupied Luhansk has cellular internet at 3G speed, and that stores, restaurants, and other businesses are closing at 2200 hours local time due to a strict curfew. Some assessment here. There are no reports of Russian forces preparing strike groups, and there hasn't been a dramatic increase in coordinated artillery fire, which would indicate a larger brigade or multi-brigade offensive was imminent. Luhansk Oblast Governor Haidai partially walked back his assessment that the large-scale offensive had started. LNR self-declared leader Leonid Posechnik gave a stunning assessment of the situation on the line of conflict, saying it is, quote, a very difficult situation, and that Ukrainian forces have, quote, accumulated enough forces for a counterattack, 
End quote. Quick sidebar, we don't use Pesechnik for combat and territorial gain claims because we cannot think of a time that he told the truth. But we will quote him when it's relevant. Pesechnik's comment verifies the assessment of several analysts and our team that the so-called large-scale Russian offensive has already started. We have no comment about his claim of an accumulation of Ukrainian forces capable of launching a counterattack. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Verknokamyanskia without success. Further south, PMC Wagner and Russian forces attempted to advance on Vesele from Yakovlivka and ran into a Ukrainian brick wall called the 93rd Mechanized Infantry Brigade. The reports confirm that Ramzan Kadyrov's report that Akhmat had captured Vesele, as reported in TASS, was false. Northwest of Solidar, PMC Wagner, supported by Russian forces, broke through the Ukrainian defenses west of Blachodatne and advanced in the direction of Zaliznyanske. After breaking through, Russian troops followed a line of trees between fields before Ukrainian artillery stopped the advance. Heavy fighting for control of Krasnohora continued. Fierce fighting continued in northeastern, eastern, and southern Bakhmut. Russian social media accounts are twisting a report by the GSAFU that 30% of Bakhmut is currently under Russian control. I mean, the statement is correct, but it refers to the Hromada, not the administrative borders of the city. Composite forces from Russia and PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Padaskovivka, where the situation is unknown. In eastern Bakhmut, Russian forces continue to push into the residential areas east of the Bakhmutovka River. A geolocated video confirmed our map adjustments from yesterday. Ukrainian forces shot down a Russian Su-25 using manpads, with the Russian pilot ejecting and reportedly captured by Ukrainian forces. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, heavy fighting continued east of Stupochki and south of Ivanivsky. A geolocated video showed PMC Wagner and Russian forces advancing on Ivanivsky being stopped by Ukrainian forces. Geolocation confirmed our line of conflict assessment to the meter, indicating Russian forces remain two to two and a half kilometers from the critical T-504 highway G-lock. A video circulating on social media that we are not sharing due to operational security shows that the G-lock from Khromova to Bakhmut is open and uncontested. There were new claims that the T-504 highway G-lock from Bakhmut to Kostyantanivka is under Russian fire control. In southwest Donetsk, a quick errors and omissions. Yesterday, we reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the Vesele area in the Avdivka operational area. We assessed the attack was launched from the west of Spartak, close to the Donetsk International Airport, south of Avdivka. Well, the Russian offensive was actually launched from Novoselivka-Druha, north of Kamyanka and in the direction of Krasnohorivka, north of Avdivka. The village is so small, it doesn't appear on Google Maps. Also, there are three veseles between Siversk and Marinka, all of them on the line of conflict. We appreciate your understanding as we cut through the fog of war. Fighting was limited in the Avdiivka operational area. 
An extremely graphic video showed that the Russian 1st Army Corps suffered catastrophic losses during a failed light infantry advance from Opitne, which was supported by at least two infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs. The video shows at least a platoon of dead and severely wounded Russian soldiers and two destroyed armored vehicles. It is not suitable for work, should not be viewed by children, and some may find the content disturbing. You will need Telegram to watch the video, but as with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. A Ukrainian source reported that Russian forces had recaptured Vodyana, repeating a months-long cycle outlined by a Russian mill blogger. Ukrainian forces intentionally withdraw to the high ground north of Vodyana, where mortars and artillery pick apart the occupying troops, forcing a withdrawal. Then Ukrainian soldiers return to the village. In the Medinka operational area, fighting continued in the city's center, where there are definitely Ukrainian troops. A geolocated video showed a tank with the Ukrainian 35th Marine Brigade firing at Russian 1st Army Corps positions at point-blank range near the grain elevator. Russian mill blogger Strelkov claimed that Russian troops captured the grain elevator area and we made a small update to the map based on the new intelligence. The video confirms that multiple Russian claims that Ukrainian forces are only at the western edge of Marinka are incontrovertibly false. Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor Pavlo Kirilenko reported the rubble that was once Marinka was heavily shelled. In the Ukhladar operational area, Russian forces made a series of attacks in the Dacha area and continued to suffer catastrophic losses. Two extremely graphic videos taken in the area emerged. The first video, which we are not sharing, showed two Russian soldiers drowning in a water-filled trench. One struggled for minutes before hypothermia and wounds from a mortar attack rendered him incapable of climbing out. The second video, which we are also not sharing, showed a Russian soldier running in panic completely engulfed in flames, after the tank he was in ran over a mine, became disabled, and was hit by artillery. There were multiple reports that the Russian 40th Naval Infantry Brigade is now combat-destroyed, in addition to the 155th. Quick sidebar. Combat-destroyed means that a military unit has lost 50% or more of its combat power, rendering it incapable of carrying out effective offensive or defensive operations. It, it doesn't mean that a military unit no longer exists. Combat power goes beyond the number of soldiers in a unit due to force multipliers such as heavy weapons, being well-equipped, strong leadership, elite training, and high morale. The Russian MOD, mercenaries with Rybar and Wargonzo, claimed there wasn't any fighting, with activity limited to artillery exchanges. The reports from the Russian sources are technically accurate due to omission. There were attempted attacks, but they ended with more catastrophic armored vehicle losses because Russian forces never got close enough to engage Ukrainian troops. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that Russian Mobix billeted in Yalta on the Azov Sea coast got drunk despite the ban on alcohol, broke into homes, and openly discussed how they were told they were deploying to Ukhledar in two to three days. There were five explosions in the port area of Mariupol, followed by rising smoke. Russian occupation officials claimed the blasts were from air defense.
we're not sure why they would create a false narrative. Mariupol is out of HIMARS range, and in our assessment, the explosions were either due to demining activity or an accident. In Mirna, in southwestern Donetsk, at 47.425781 degrees north by 37.712738 degrees east, because there are too many Mirnas, six Russian infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, and or armored personnel carriers, or APCs, have been stuck in the mud since January 31st. In Russian Occupy the Makivka, the main gas pipeline exploded, creating a massive fire that could be seen from Donetsk. Russian propagandist Radyan Moroshnik claimed that the pipeline was damaged due to a Ukrainian artillery strike. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Natalia Humenyuk, Communications Director for Operational Command South, or OCS, reported the Russian Black Sea Fleet had two warships on patrol and no missile carriers due to poor weather, exceptionally high seas, and strong wind. The Kerch Strait Ferry was suspended due to high seas and cold temperatures, causing sea spray to freeze on the superstructure. Ice buildup on a ship is dangerous because it makes the vessel top-heavy, increasing instability. Ferries, even seagoing ones, are top-heavy because the car decks are relatively high compared to other ships. In our assessment, it is unlikely service will restart before Friday. In north and northeast Ukraine, in the Sumy Oblast, the Romadas of Bilopilia, Yunakivka, Krasnopilia, Seredina Buda, Snobnovhorodsk, Shalahin, and Khluhiv were shelled by Russian forces firing from across the border. There were 125 mortar and artillery strikes, and three IEDs dropped by drones. In the village of Pavlivka near Bilopilia, a 76-year-old pensioner was killed when an artillery shell hit her home. In Kharkiv, four S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck the Kiev district in the city center, causing a large fire in the industrial area. The S-300 can be used for a ground attack, but it's inaccurate, and the fragmentation warhead makes it a poor weapon to strike reinforced targets. Despite repeated Kremlin claims they only strike military targets, one missile hit Kharkiv's central park, blasting a crater into the ground. On the Russian front, residents in Bilgorod reported air defense was active, but there were no reports of explosions or damage. The missile launches occurred minutes before Russian S-300 missiles hit Kharkiv. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky traveled to the United Kingdom to meet with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, address Parliament, and visit with Ukrainian troops currently receiving military training. Downing Street has confirmed that the United Kingdom will begin training Ukrainian pilots to fly modern NATO fighter jets, will provide Ukraine with longer-range weapons, and will train Ukrainian troops to be Marines. The expansion of the training program is being done to ensure, quote, 
Ukraine has a military able to defend its interests well into the future. There are unconfirmed reports that Zelensky will travel to Brussels on Thursday to meet with European Union leaders. Rivna Oblast administrative and military governor Vitali Koval posted a video of himself right at the Belarusian border and reported nothing. Nothing is happening on the border, and Belarus is not preparing to invade Ukraine. The Ukrainian Verkhovna Rada, their parliament, appointed five new leaders, including Vasil Malyuk as the head of the Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, Ihor Klimenko as the Minister of Internal Affairs, Serhii Lysak as the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast Governor, Yuri Malashka as the Zaporizhia Oblast Governor, and Oleksandr Prokudin as the Kherson Oblast Governor. The Ukrainian government also extended martial law and general mobilization for another 90 days. The Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, or NSDC, Oleksiy Danilov, said that Ukraine has weapons they developed, quote, in-house, capable of striking Russia. We have been following and reporting on the progress of a Ukrainian-developed kamikaze drone with a 1,000-kilometer range. The last official announcement late last year was it was entering the operational phase of testing, and there will be no further updates due to national security. Previously undocumented wreckage of a Russian Su-35S that had been shot down in Ukraine was located. The exact position was not disclosed, but analysts who manage the Oryx database confirmed the airframe loss was not previously documented. The Russian MOD partially verified an April 3, 2022 Ukrainian report that a Russian IL-22 communications intelligence aircraft was hit by anti-aircraft fire over Ukrainian territory. The GSAFU claimed the aircraft was shot down, with a Russian MOD stating the aircraft was hit twice, damaging the cockpit, tail section, hydraulics, and oil systems, but with the plane able to return to the airfield. The IL-22 is a Soviet Cold War-era turboprop airborne command and control aircraft and is a military version of the successful IL-18 passenger plane which was based on the Boeing B-29 Superfortress. Germany has approved the transfer of 187 Leopard 1 tanks to Ukraine, but significant problems remain. The first 20 to 25 won't be ready until the end of 2023, and ammunition for the L-7 105mm rifled main gun is out of production. The Leopard 1 is defined as a medium-duty tank, with production ending in 1985. The Deputy Minister of National Defense of Poland, Wojciech Skurkiewicz, announced that the military training capacity for Ukrainian troops would be increased to support the creation of two new battalions a month. Speaking of announcements, let's talk about Russian mobilization. But first, errors and omissions. Yesterday, we reported that retired Russian Major General Dmitry Ulyanov was killed in action in Ukraine and previously served as the commander of the Russian 98th Air Force. Except that Major General Ulyanov was the former commander of the 98th Guards Airborne Division. We have also since learned that he was killed in the Bakhmut operational area. Once again, we appreciate your understanding as we continue to cut through the fog of war. The Kremlin has ordered a nationwide check and resupply of all existing bomb shelters 
even those 10 time zones away from the ongoing fighting in Ukraine. All is going to plan. No, it says so right here on the TASS homepage. Russian state energy company Gazprom has been authorized by the Kremlin to form its own PMC as a private security firm to secure energy infrastructure using a force proportional to its needs. Ramzan Kadyrov lowered the bar again. He went from declaring a jihad on the Western world to we will march to Berlin through Kiev, to Ahmad will conquer Ukraine, to suggesting that Russia could help destabilize Poland by interfering with upcoming elections. Does Putin even take his phone calls anymore? I bet you he's not in his top eight. The war of words between PMC Wagner and the Kremlin continued. During a conference call, Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu told TASS that Russian forces have full control over Solodar, Klishayivka, Krasnopilia, Blahodatne, and Mykolaivka in Donetsk, and Pirhirne and Lobkova in Zaporizhia. A quick note, Russia has controlled Pirhirne and Lobkova since March. Shoigu also mentioned the, quote, successful development near Bakhmut and Ukhledar and stressed the gains were happening because of the gallant work of the armed forces of the Russian Federation. So the towns listed as captured in Donetsk were secured by PMC Wagner, not the Russian armed forces. A video in Russia showed the mothers and wives of dead Russian soldiers excited and repeating thank yous for receiving fur coats as compensation for their losses. If you're wondering what happened to the 5 million rubles, enough to buy his and hers ladas, that was a promotional price that ended months ago. Ridovka military liaison and mercenary reporter Anastasia Yersukova was released from the hospital, almost three weeks after her knee was destroyed at the Seal Railroad Station by a sniper. She is still facing months of rehab. Igor Mangushev, an LNR military commander, the former leader of the neo-Nazi-aligned Yenot PMC and a lieutenant of Yevgeny Prigozhin's Wagner Group marketing arm, died from an execution-style gunshot wound to the head he received three days ago. Unlike Yeltsukova, Mangushev was never flown to Moscow and instead received surgery in Russian-occupied Kadyivka. His wife insists he was executed, and there is a lot of speculation within Russian channels that the shooting was meant as a warning to Prigozhin. Mangushev became infamous in late August 2022, addressing a crowd with a skull in his hand that he claimed was taken from a Ukrainian soldier killed near Azovstal. During his screed, with the Russian audience reacting positively to his suggestion he might turn the skull into an ashtray, he said that all Ukrainians should be exterminated. The Russian state Duma reversed course on a decree declaring Russia wouldn't recognize any vocational, technical, or college degrees earned in Ukraine among residents of the occupied territories. The new decree states that doctors who have completed their education and hold a license to practice in Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson can continue to practice medicine through 2025. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's very brief report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. 
Timestamps are in the description. Since January 31st, six groups of evacuees from the Russian-occupied region of Melitopol have been evacuated through a green corridor to Romania. Happy Child is organizing the transfers. People in the occupied territory or a family member can call 067-328-0181 to apply to become an evacuee. In Vovchansk, Kharkiv, Russian forces shelled the hospital, causing a fire, which was brought under control but required evacuating some patients. An ambulance bringing a patient to the hospital at the time of the shelling was damaged by shrapnel, but the patient and medics were unharmed. In geopolitical news, at the time of recording, more than 11,000 people have reportedly been killed in Turkey and Syria by two earthquakes, a 7.8 and 7.5 magnitude respectively, that hit two days ago. In Turkey, Ukraine has deployed 87 urban rescue personnel, 10 dogs, and equipment to aid in rescue and recovery operations. Unrelated to the arrival of Ukrainian relief workers, Ambassador of Ukraine to Turkey, Vasil Bodnar, reported that two citizens of Ukraine who were feared dead were found alive in the rubble of a collapsed building. They are expected to survive. During the annual United States State of the Union Address to a joint session of Congress and Supreme Court justices, President Joe Biden said that Putin's invasion is, quote, a murderous attack reminiscent of the death and destruction that Europe experienced in the Second World War, end quote, and is a test for, quote, our era and a test for the whole world, end quote. Boris Pistorius, the new German Minister of Defense, said he believes the world would be a better place without Vladimir Putin, quote, without any doubt or hesitation, end quote. He also dismissed the Kremlin's threats to use nuclear weapons, saying it should not interfere with military support. Pistorius said, quote, After all, none of us know what Putin is doing, but this shouldn't prevent us and our allies from offering reasonable support to Ukraine, end quote. In economic news, the Russian Federation economy is off to a rough start in 2023. Revenue from natural gas and oil sales is down 46% compared to last year, tax revenue is down 35%, and budget spending is up 59%. The Federation's deficit for January was $25 billion. That's more than half of the entire deficit for 2022. The National Wealth Fund is hemorrhaging cash and has dropped 29% since November 1st, with $91 billion in cash reserves left. Russia also had to dip into its gold reserve, selling three tons of the precious metal to fill its budget gap. Russia has an estimated 550 tons remaining in its reserve. Due to limited choices, the price of Chinese cars in Russia has skyrocketed, with Geely increasing sticker prices by 75% from 2022 to the 2023 model year. Tourism dropped 33% from 2021 to 2022, with only 201,000 foreign visitors going to Russia for pleasure. Tourist traffic was already sharply down due to COVID-19 in 2021. Compared to 2019, Tourism travel to the Russian Federation is down 96%. I wonder why that might be. 
The ruble declined to an exchange rate of 72 for one U.S. dollar as the new price ceiling on oil and refined gas took hold, further eroding demand for the Russian currency. Western oil prices continued to climb, with WTI crude moving to $78 a barrel and Brent up to $84. Russian Ural's crude is holding at an official price of $52 a barrel, but capped at $45 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbov gasoline on the spot market jumped to $2.47 a gallon, or $0.65 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures dropped, with March and April 2023 falling to €55 Euros per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed to $7.55 a bushel for May 2023 delivery and appear to have shrugged off continued power outages in Odessa, the ongoing Russian stealth blockade of grain shipments, and the Turkish earthquake. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.